Chalk, thank you very much for doing this, mate. It's it's an absolute pleasure to have you on, and I'm I'm very uh I'm very happy that you agreed to do this, mate. Firstly, what's it like being back home? You you've it feels like you've been all over the world to finally go back home. How how was that for you getting the call? What's it like being back at the Reds? Oh yeah, look, Duncan. Thanks first for having me on, mate. Um, mate, real privilege to be on. I've watched a lot of uh, over the last couple of years. It's been great to watch. And we'll chat about my time in Japan later on, but it's been great to watch, mate. I, uh, you know, I've sort of been a keen listener and watch for a long period of time. So thank you, mate. Um, mate, back at the Reds, childhood dream, mate. Like, uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit in depth a little bit later, but, um, mate, I started work here in 2001 in community rugby. Um, we started as a development officer, literally worked myself into the academy and then, you know, 2023 into 23 coaching you know, coming back in to be the assistant coach of the Reds, mate. What an, you know, incredibly excited. Something I've always wanted to do for a long period of time is coach my own home state. Um, and, you know, with that comes a lot of responsibility. So, no, incredibly excited to be back, mate. Mate, it's, uh, you've had a you've had a fair journey as, as someone that played for you briefly and then sort of followed your career from afar for a while. Uh, let, can you maybe give a brief overview of your career up to this point, just so people can get an understanding of the journey you've been on. Yeah, for sure, mate. Um, you know, potentially journeyman might be the, uh, you know, I feel like when you're in something a little bit longer, um, that's what you get called. But um, certainly for me, Duncan, the, the fact is I've been a career coach. As I mentioned in 2001, it was my first ever job. So I've only ever worked in rugby. Um, I've worked in community rugby, obviously, as I mentioned here at the Reds. Um, came in, worked in the academy, um, and then my first ever professional coaching job in 2006 was actually at Benetton. So I finished playing, I mean, I wasn't a very good player, mate, but finished playing and headed to Benetton and worked as a skills coach and assisted over there um, with the scrum program. And, mate, again, just a great, you know, at the age of 20, I think I was turning 25, um, my first, you know, we had Italian you know, the front row we had there at Benetton at the time were, mate, they were 32, 33. They were the international front row for Argentina at the time. Um, did two years there, mate, and then actually came back and coached in club rugby. Um, came back to Brisbane full time. Um, I did a year at University of Queensland and then two at Brothers and was lucky enough to win a premiership there with Brothers, which is my own home club. At the same time, working at the Reds in the Queensland A program, so around the A program. Um, then, mate, then I got my Japanese experience. So then from there, I've spent the last nine, probably out of the last, since 2011, nine out of the last 13 years, pretty much based, or 14 years, based over in Japan. So uh, that was my first stint. Um, I did a four-year period there at a couple of clubs up there, Cannon being one of them, um, and then came back to the Rebels, mate, where I saw you, met you for the first time, um, and then went back up to Japan, mate, coached at my old club, uh, sorry, post-Rebels, then went to Samoa, coached the international team over there, high-performance manager and lived on island in Samoa. Um, and then, mate, from there, went to Japan for the last five years and was lucky enough to be a part of the uh, Tongan coaching group with Todai Kefu over the last two years and leading to the Rugby World Cup before coming back back to, uh, to the Reds, mate. Yeah, when you put it all together, it sounds like a long time. I sound old, probably look old, but I'm not, not that old, mate. How, how old are you now? Because you, when I, I, I think when I was at the Rebels, you were mid thirties. Yeah, that's right. So just turning forty-two. 
uh, turned 42 last year, turning 43 this year. So um, as I mentioned, it's the only job I've ever had. And, you know, it's funny, my family and, you know, and friends still consider to ask, you know, what are you going to do when you grow up, right? Like, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. the same old story. But, um, mate, I couldn't ever foresee myself doing anything else. Absolutely love it. Totally enjoy what we're doing. Invested in the coaching practices of what we do. I, I've a lot I want to talk to you about. There's obviously a lot of different ways we could go into, particularly off what you just said. But I want to go back to the first job at Treviso. H- yes. How did how did that come about? Uh, it's I, I played briefly in Italy. It's quite confronting being in a country where you don't speak a word of the language apart from bonjour. No? And um, how did you experience that? You were young. You were coaching uh, international standard players. One of your first, you know, major coaching jobs. What yes. was that experience? What was that experience like? And how did that sort of come about? Yeah, it's a great question, Duncan. I think certainly that experience shaped very much my, you know, my my future years to this point. Um, the the greatest thing about working in a country, and as you know, by having played in it, um, working in a country where you, when you've got different languages and there's a language barrier, you're really either sinking or swimming. Right? You can either um, accept that you don't understand the language and and be battering your head the whole time and stick to your same processes, or you can be fully invested in how you go about it. One, learning the language. Two, simplifying the what your own methods and the way you speak. And for me, it was very much about, one, firstly, investing myself in the language, um, being able to speak to a point where um, I was able to coach in Italian within three to four months. Um, and then that's very much shaped my whole concept Moving into a couple of other countries I've worked in, both certainly in Japan, um, I put a lot of time into being able to speak the language um, and being able to coach and do meetings fully in Japanese. Um, and that was really, really important to me around building respect from your playing group to understand that, understanding the culture. Um, but I think the greatest thing in terms of the way that shaped me as a coach is the ability to simplify things and explain things really well and understand probably what's not needed and what is needed and what gets what gets the point across. You know, the reality is it can be a very simple game. I think at times we make it a little bit – we probably make it a little bit tougher than it is. I completely agree. Were there any mistakes that you made that stick out to you? Obviously, when you first start coaching, uh, as yeah. I've done in the last couple of years, you know, countless mistakes that uh, you know, hopefully you learn from. Is there anything that stood out to you from that time that you're going, oh, shit? <laughs> yeah, great, great question again because, mate, I think I um I always reflect on this, certainly in my own coaching, because sometimes it comes back out. And I think that when you get yourself to a point when you've done it long enough and by no means am I the finished product by any means, continually learning, um, you know, forever learning in this, in this game and how we – can better do what we do. But the big thing for me is once I understood that I had very little control over really what the playing group did on the field on game day, the better I was. All it was about was, and I used to really ride the emotion of that around wins and losses. Soon as I understood that it was, my job was about process, being able to assist the players to be in, get better at the process and understand the training methodology around how they train better. Because ultimately to play well, you've got to train well. So as soon as we understood, uh, I understood that I could have a greater impact there in helping them understand how to train well and push themselves in that space. And that really 
the process, if I get the process right, the outcome will look after itself. As soon as I understood that to that point, I think I, I, you know, and I've really, honestly, Duncan, I think that's probably only the last few years that I've actually really probably the last three to four when I was my last stint in Japan, um, I really got it. Other than that, I was riding the emotions of, of wins and losses and really took it on board and took it to heart when I read things in the media or, you know, now it's right. It's all about process. Um, and, and the other point that I think I've got to the point there is, is that our role as coaches is to, is to protect the playing group, certainly as professional coaches. And the reality is um, coaches, when we lose games, we take responsibility. When we win, players take responsibility. I yeah. fully, fully invested in that philosophy because the reality is they're only doing essentially what we're putting them in practice to do. So the losses are on us. And when they win, it's ultimately on them and how they then, and then how they perform. Mate, when you're trying to work out the process that actually brings you success, and you've been doing this a long time, is it is it something that you constantly refine? So even though now you've been coaching a long time, you've had some success, coached at international level, you know what works. But is something that you is that is that process something that you are constantly looking at sharpening, refining, just getting better? Is that a daily thing, or is it something you look at every year, or how do you get better at that? Totally a daily thing. I t- I personally believe if you really want to get good at it, um, you need to one self reflect. You need to again that whole plan act review cycle. Um, you know we work in seven day blocks, right? Based around as you know, based around. You know, are we? You know, we plan. Are we then in practice? What's our methodology look like daily? We're refining that. You know, even to the point where, you know we can plan a week in advance and know what we're chasing, but if we're not refining it based on where the one, the players are at to how we feel like we're driving it, then we're really not learning. We're not listening to the playing group. You know, that constant questioning of each other about how we're getting the information across. Did that work? Did that questioning work? Um, did we get the content in? We've got, I think it's a daily refinement um, and certainly from a personal reflection, I definitely do it daily. Um, I'm, and it's probably the greatest thing I'm really enjoying about the coaching group I'm currently in. Um, absolutely loving it. Under Les, um, Les Kiss, obviously Brad Davis, Jonathan Fisher, myself, and Dale Robertson um, here at the Reds. It's It can be hardy, right? Like those conversations. And Les always talks about north. So, you know, if we're always facing north and we're always – pointing in one direction, we know it's, um, you know, it's coming from the right place. You can have those hard conversations and you can reflect and you can refine. Mate, how do you look back on your first stint in Super Rugby at the Rebels? Obviously, you were, you were relatively young for a professional coach. Uh, a significant amount of time has passed since then. Yes. How, do you, how do you look back on it and, and what are some of the learnings that you took from that experience that you maybe propelled you forward into future jobs and and your second stint at Super Rugby. Yeah, definitely. Um, can't be more grateful for the first stint, to be perfectly honest. Um, it was a real coming of age for me. Um, I The previous four years, I've been lucky enough to be a head coach up in Japan at a, at a really young age. So, you know, I was 27, 28, 29, and came into Super at 30 um, as an assistant under Tony McGahn in the first stint, as you'd remember. What I learned from Tony... Um, 
and was lucky enough to be taught by Tony actually as well at school. So what I really learned from Tony was around the process of coaching, how you go about putting the process together, how you go about refining your craft. And I can't be more grateful for him for that. Um, my own my own learnings as a coach were definitely probably, as I mentioned before, I rode the, I rode the wins and losses pretty hard maybe read a little bit too much into when we were doing really well in our first year in 2016 um, at the Rebels, we beat all the Kiwi teams. Um, you know, like my first game in Super was, you know, in Christchurch at AMI Stadium, you know, you beat Canterbury round one, right? And I'm going, how easy Super Rugby? Like everyone talks how, about how hard it is, right? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, this is easy stuff, right? And then, you know, we go on to beat all the Kiwi teams, nearly miss out in the finals. But then from the following two years, it became a real struggle because that was the period where Aussie teams just didn't beat Kiwi teams. They went on this real flush run around how we were. And I got really challenged myself as an individual around how I could develop my game and how I, uh, my own, sorry, develop the game with the players that I was working underneath. And to be fair, I probably didn't lean on them enough. I felt like I had to shoulder that burden the whole way but um post that i feel like the greatest learning i've taken and certainly being able to coach internationally one at samoa and two at tonga is that the players really have all the ip and you've got some great people come in and at all levels and that iq is within the playing group you don't have to have all the answers Mate, that's that's such a great reflection how long did it take you to come come up with that is it something that you saw at the time is it something that you've seen with the benefit of hindsight as more you know as time passes we all learn and we look at things differently was it something that took you a little while to come to that yeah absolutely well if you think about that like that was you know me going to Samoa um you know my first tour I lost my job at the Rebels while well, we thought with the team had been bought out by Rugby Australia and Western Force guys came in so um that was a real shock for me right like I'm thinking sweet here we go I'm in super and um right all all things lead to wherever they go to and then all of a sudden you don't have a job so there was a lot of reflection in that period and I was lucky enough within a couple of weeks to be going on tour we um with Samoa and we you know, we played Scotland, England, and um, Romania in that period. And it was a real reflection just with that playing group. One, being able to connect with them, get to know them. And through that period of getting to know those players and understanding, you know, international level players, you know, you've got some, some you know, Chris Vuys of the world. You've got some, you know, Vunapolas of the world that really are world-class players. And being able to talk with them about different ways to do things really opened my eyes. And I can't be more grateful for that experience. What's the difference between test and super rugby level or test and, say, Japanese top league? You know, the, the two tiers of, of that level of rugby. What's the difference in coaching at the test level? Yeah, um, time. <laughs> you know, a great example for that Um this this previous uh, World Cup cycle where we're leading into the World Cup with Tonga, we had literally five days to prepare for a test match leading into play Australia A, and we're lucky enough to win that game. Um, you you honestly get three sessions essentially to put a team together to be able to go out and play against some of the best teams in the world. 
Um, great, you, you're really looking at the critical, the critical factors around what make teams tick and what helps you do well. Um, yeah. you, know, you look at a preseason where Japanese preseason can be anywhere, mate, from mate can be 14 weeks it can be sometimes it can be five months the japanese preseason, right so you got time to build your game and build really you know chronologically as you go but in test match rugby the expectation is what are the big rocks what really matters um and how do we go about driving the really important things that make us go well and so yeah sorry yeah so i was i was gonna say so obviously um Three sessions preparing for a test match. Obviously, you've got some physical limitations on the athletes. You can't really flog them in a test week or, yes. or you shouldn't. Is there much coaching that's done away from the field as well? So prior to when you actually get the group together, will they have an idea of what you want to achieve for scrum, line out, line out plan, defensive setups? Is that all done prior to getting in there or, or do you try and do as much coaching away from the, the field as you can? Yeah, it's a, it's a great bit of advice, mate, because really for any coach, you look at the time you've got on the field and you are really limited. You know, we had a group of coaches in here yesterday from Clubland and essentially they only really, we only really have one more session than they do a week. Um, the reality is, however, where we're lucky is we've got time in and around gym sessions to be able to do walkthroughs, Tai Chi's, you know, be able to understand, you know, how we're going to implement um, our systems. Obviously, in a test week, the importance is about where guys, the framework they come in at. You can be talking all you like on WhatsApps and, you know, on huddles and this type of things. But the reality is, a lot of those boys are in season. So a lot of those boys are already thinking about different, see, you know, their own calls, the way they do things. The reality is, we just had to narrow our focus and then utilize as much time off the field in and around gym sessions, how you go about walkthroughs and rely on the connection piece and understand the guys, understand the really simple principles and then allow them to play. Yeah. What do you, what do you find more satisfying just out of interest? Obviously when you're at the Reds and it's, it's yeah, pro probably a, a weird question, but yeah. do you enjoy, do you enjoy having that day in day out? chance to really develop the people and get to know them and build relationships versus a test match, which I could imagine is really exciting, but only a short window of time to actually develop people as players and maybe not even a chance to develop them as players, just get everyone on the same page. Yeah, mate, I love it all, to be perfectly honest with you. I just <laughs> yeah. love it all, mate. I honestly love coming to work every day. It's the greatest job on earth, right? Like, it actually doesn't bother me. I could be, you know, with my sons under 10s is my youngest son, you know, my daughter playing touch. I just genuinely love the process of coaching and I really enjoy connecting with players and playing group. Um, the other part is, mate, I really enjoy riding, you know, there's nothing better than being in a winning change room from a rugby sense, right? Yeah. There's nothing better than that sheer exhilaration. And I can guarantee you that, a winning as you know a winning change room in a test match and a winning change room in a at the end of a grand final when you've won in a clubland winning grand final at the end of you know a season in Japan we've been successful and been promoted they're all the same that feeling that two or three hours after is there's no other better feeling and you know that from your time of being successful it's, it's the best beer it's the best beer there is <laughs> the best beer there is mate yeah and the greatest relief at the same time 
mate, what was your what was your time in Japan like? I've heard uh, nearly every coach I've ever spoken to says Japan was pivotal for their development in terms of similar to your Italy experience, simplifying, learning a language, and focusing on what really matters. Uh, but I've heard just as many people have horror stories about Japan. <laughs> what, what what was your experience? Uh, what what were your experiences like? What what stuck out to you? Yeah, I I I, I love Japanese rugby. I'm not going to lie. Um, hence, I spent nearly nine years there. So, um, I was lucky enough to be able to pick up the language well, so I could get a build a really good connection with the playing group and staff. Um, you're 100 percent right. The time that you get to coach is incredible. Like if you want to learn and you want to go and coach, this is what I always say to guys that go, oh, you know, how, how do I get better as a coach? You've got to coach. You've got to coach all the areas. You've got to go and try things and throw it out there and have a crack. And with the nature of the way the seasons have been over the last sort of 15 years, because I've done Japan in two different stints, one of four and or one of five and one of four. So the, the way in which you get to do that, is that you get a long period of time to either is to be able to build a team. And, and it's, you know, certainly for me over the last couple of years, we had some real budget constraints at the club I was at. So yeah. I was lucky enough to coach all the areas for the first three years of my last stint. So I literally was the only coach and I had one assistant who helped with a bit of catch pass as a skills coach. So mate, I'm, you know, I'm doing running from back session to, you know, to forward sessions and, you know, and how, you know, and head coaching the whole program and you having to almost be a chameleon, right? Like, you know, backs are very different to forwards, mate, I can tell you. Like I can bring an intent around how I do things at forwards and that necessarily doesn't translate in backs, right? They're a little bit more yeah. cool, calm and collected, those blokes. But I learn a lot about them, right? I learn a lot about how understanding their connections and what their needs were for me when I've now come back into being a forwards coach, it was great because it was how that I could connect what I've been doing now in the forward setting to what they need. Um, if anyone ever gets the opportunity to go up to Japan, I would 100% advise it. And the reason, a couple of reasons, as I mentioned, one, the opportunity to do a lot of coaching. Two, you've got to simplify your message. Three, the culture is amazing. The culture is incredible. Um, the people are beautiful. Um and anyone who's been up there, there's obviously been a lot of Aussies over there over the winter, um, up there just over the Christmas holidays. But obviously, it's fantastic. And the thing about the standard of rugby, you know, there's 23 professional rugby teams up there now across three different divisions. So the reality of that is there's a lot of foreign players up there over the last 25 to 30 years that have not only added to that mystique around development of Japanese rugby, Japanese rugby has its own style. There's some great Japanese rugby coaches. Um, there's some great Japanese rugby players understand the game well. And you've only seen that through the national program and their success over the last, you know, two rugby world cup cycles. Um, it's a, you know, they're a force and it's a great competition. Mate. Um, I've got to ask you some forwards coaching questions uh, okay. selfishly for my own benefit but you'd be blown away how popular the scrum coaching podcasts actually are maybe it wouldn't be maybe it wouldn't be blown away but people uh there, there seems to be a need for that kind of information Man, sure. when you when you first walk into a new environment what what's the first thing you do do you do you meet players and get some information about what they've done previously what they think should be better 
what's what's your what has been your process when you've walked back into the reds this time yeah that's a great question again i think um i think the first thing you got to do is listen um you know everyone feel you know the the whole the most important thing for you to do in a new environment is to be able to have the ability to connect with people um and the, the most crucial part of that, I believe, in my opinion, is your ability to listen um, and understand where they're coming from. We've been in a really, we're really blessed here because we're in a situation where a group of players were, have been coached by, you know, one of the greatest rugby players of all time. You know, what a great value set. The man, Mr. But, you know, leads by example of behaviours. So we've walked in here and out, you know, our guys know how to train. You know, they the the guys get an understanding of what's right, what's wrong. They, I've never met a more you know a nicer bunch of boys, right? They're all men. It's uh, it's been really impressive. It's been really important for me in my role to listen, firstly. And there's been some great players that we've had here in crucial roles like Liam Wright, first and foremost in in and around that lineout space. So getting to understand the way they've done things previously. Um, there's no point in my belief, in me coming in and going, this is the way we're going to do it, Liam, go to the side, or Angus Blythe, go to the side around line-out D. Mate, why would I do that when I'm not playing? Um, you know, it's been about empowering them, utilising the information. Myself and Jonathan Fisher, who's assisting me in that space, um, it's been about posing different questions and different ways to do things, showing them some best-case practices from around the world, what's working, what's not, um, and then getting them to come up with their own style that's unique for the Reds' way and the way we do things about the way we want to play. So you're almost you're almost guiding them to get in the direction that you kind of want, but so that they feel like they have the ownership of it, or that they do have the ownership of it. Absolutely, mate. Like the important part around, I always find around ownership, player ownership, and and players having a a say in the way we play. The accountability, though, for that then still falls on uh, on me. So regardless of even though the players might have had um, input into what we drive, the reality is I'm the one that needs to give them clear direction around exactly what we're doing. At some point, someone has to be accountable, um, and that's ultimately me for that. And if that's not successful, that will be me. However, I want I encourage the input encourage them to play a part and get that buy-in around how we go about building what's going to be successful at super rugby level. Is there anything that you do in particular to increase the IQ of some of the younger players, particularly around maybe the more technical aspects of, of forwards play? Because something I've said, I've got quite a young group and uh, they're, they're very smart, but there's some of them that probably need a hand strategically getting their mind thinking more strategically is there anything that you have seen anything that you do to increase the iq of your guys yeah um rugby rugby iq is, is always a uh, a really important one it's a really hot topic at the moment around how you around how you go about doing it um my belief around that area is firstly i i'm, I'm not sure as a younger playing group if we watch enough rugby here in Australia, and that's obviously a little bit hamstrung by the fact it's you know it's only on pay TV, right? On yeah. stand, that's no excuse. Um, certainly for professional players, they've got full access to that. Um, my encouragement would be like the reality for a younger younger generation playing group, and it's very very much linked to social media, is that if we just said go and watch a game, 
who's got time to go and give up an hour and a half really to watch a game, unless you genuinely love it, probably like you and I. Yeah. Um, being able to really pull out small snapshots and even 30-second snippets of what things that are happening in game trends that are world-class for our playing group to try and attract and, and open discussions to the playing group. Not necessarily the fact that you're going that way. You might not want to go that way, but it just opens the discussion around um, the way with which other people are doing things. I'm a big believer in showing us doing things well. So when we look and reinforce and learning that way, so when we're bringing something new, we have to show an example of when we do it really well as a playing group or if someone else doing it really, really well because we want to show positive pictures of us doing it well and just continually driving that positive feedback around this is what gold standard is and this is the expectation of where we get to. The rugby IP part, I believe, comes when, you know, in our unique environment here at the moment, we've got a number of players from a few different programs that have just come in. We've got Joe Brawley's come from the Crusaders. You know, we've got, um, you know, Alex Hodgman come from the Blues. And obviously, you know, Jeffrey, you know, JTA, who's um, just come in from overseas in a long time at the Hurricanes. We'd, you know, it'd be, we'd be crazy not to lean on those guys around the information they've got, as well as the current guys that are already here in the way they've looked to do things. So, you know, it's a bit of a melting pot of ideas um, to start with. But the question, the hardest part about that is you've got to ask the right questions first. Yeah. So if you just ask them to, right, what do you think here? You've got to be really pointed around what it is you actually want and be really directive around where, where you want it to go or else it just becomes a discussion about nothing. You've got to be really clear and precise about driving that conversation. When giving people positive reinforcement, particularly with this generation, is is something that's very important. How, how do you balance that with giving them feedback and things that they can improve on? Um. I just give it to, you know me well, I don't mix my words, right? So that's probably a little bit later on. I'm going to hopefully talk about the fact that you've still got to be you. And if you're, I know in the, my personality, I'm a really direct and honest person, but I will, I enjoy having a discussion with a player that's really pointed and really to the point. But when you do something well, I'll continue to praise that as well. And it'll be really, really direct. But yeah. the reality is in our environment, a professional environment, you've got to be able to understand that. And that's where the connection piece comes in. That if we give you direct feedback, you've got to be able to understand where it comes from. But then myself as a coach, I've then got to go and reinforce that learning. I can't just give direct feedback and be direct in the point in the moment. Yeah. And that's probably the big one that comes. I've, you know, and this is a bit of a point around developing that critical eye in training. So that as a coach, you've got a critical eye so that you can give immediate feedback. You know, the point around, you know, waiting till the end and then, you know, getting 27 clips or, you know, I think you've missed the moment. I think you've missed the moment, right? Like you can reinforce that behavior later, but you've got to be able to pick it up in the moment. As coaches, that's probably the hardest thing that you learn. And the best way to learn that is just maybe pick a couple of points that you're going to pick up each day. If you're new to coaching, right, I'm going to look at our strength in the air as an example with jumpers. And I'm going to really be hard on all players on that today. 
and work out what your critical eye is so that you can, you know, even mic yourself up in that space, mic yourself up so you can hear your feedback and just make sure that you're assessing yourself to make sure that you're getting it right because that's so important. Mate, where where are you looking for trends in the game at the moment? Is it something that Europe's kind of leading the way to the English Premiership without maybe giving away any of the ideas that you guys are going to do this year? Where's, where's some good places to have a look? Yeah, I think uh, the World Cup's a great place to look. You know, there's key the, – the reality, I don't think one uh, hemisphere is probably leading the way other than the other. We just play differently, as in the game's just different in different hemispheres based around the nature of, you know, and even even English Premiership, as an example, is just play, the game's played totally different at different times of the year. When the weather's good, it's a certain way. When it's not, when they're on artificial, it's played a certain way. Down here, we're lucky enough to have, you know, even really the reality is how, you know, to play up here in Queensland, it can be really humid and slippery in those first couple of rounds. So it essentially is a wet weather game. Where I think the trends are, um, World Cup was a great, a really good, um, you know, exponent of this. Showed how critical, certainly at line-out time, understanding the tempo of line-outs and going in and playing quickly, um, the ability to have a multifaceted um, delivery mechanisms around that. So being able to show the same formation and have different delivery, delivery mechanisms of, of, of that. Yeah. Um, around mall, I feel like, and this is probably one that I know at World Rugby, they're probably looking at changing around the laws of the game. The hardest part mall attack to defend at the moment is when teams go short numbered lineouts and they add numbers from 10 meters once you get, because it is just this decision making for the fence around when to enter, when not to enter, do we enter? And you know, it's a numbers game, right? So it's a, it's this real touchy point around the laws at the moment around referees are watching defending guys entry and the attacking guys get full entry, uh, get full attack points at it. Um, I know, you know, certainly from the referees, they're talking a lot about um, attacking block uh, lifters blocking off and not giving access to the jumper. It's going to be something they're going to be really hot on and they were at the world cup as well. And I feel like that will really change the way teams have done things. Um, the flood mentality of some teams at the World Cup. When I mean flood, I mean more of a rolling mall, back to the old school rolling mall, might come out now because you won't be able to close that seam. You might have to stay a little bit more direct and north around how you're playing and doing that. Okay, mate, that's that's some pretty good information, mate. Hey, um, what can guys at club level do to better prepare players for Super Rugby, particularly in the Type 5? Because I... You know, I, I played shoot shield for a long time. There's some outstanding shoot shield level players that maybe don't make a successful transition to Super Rugby, and there are some guys that do. Is there yeah. something that you've seen that that you know guys at my level can do better to prepare guys so that they can make that transition? Yeah, that's a really good point. And first point of of all would be um, just your own training methodology. So understanding that the speed in the game is higher so you need to plot you need to train at a higher speed the transitions of the game are quicker so you need to train that the biggest thing i see with the two step ups one from club to super and super to international genuinely speed 
players will come into super and they'll be like, wow, that's quick. Guys going from super international come up and go, geez, that's quick. And that's another step up physically. So there's this, you know, this real, the big, the biggest thing that coaches can do is be really well planned in around how they go about allowing the players to train at speed and do things repetitively well at speed. That's really, really important. The second thing from a set piece perspective in this yeah. country is get them to love it. Like genuinely get them to love maul attack, maul defense, scrum attack, scrum defense, line out attack, and how critical that part of the game is. Win the ball, use the ball. You know, like coaching foundations from, you know, coaching council, Australian coaching council 40 years ago have not changed. How, how important is that side of set-piece coaching in terms of the mindset and the attitude? Something that I've looked at, and I've got a bit of a theory because I've had a little bit of success with it, is yeah. that um, having a, a positive scrummaging culture and an attitude that the scrum is important to this group, the scrum is important to our club, is to me a huge tick towards getting success. Totally. Is that how is that how you've seen it? Or can you touch a little bit on, on the importance yeah, of totally. that? Couldn't agree more with you, mate. And you've been coached by me um, before, so you, you you probably get my sense of my enthusiasm around the area. Um, the I couldn't. I think my my opinion is that the intent goes hand in fist, hand in glove with your ability to build technically and tactically, because yeah. the importance of understanding tactically about where the set piece fits. And because you can build this love for it and it can actually sometimes go a little bit too far and the intent, because it can be at the expense of what the team's trying to do. Yeah. So building the intent and the technique is important, but also understanding where it fits in the team <clears throat> tactically and how you want to deliver the ball. Because ultimately that's our role. We're either developed where our ability is to deliver the ball or, you know, and, and, and really, put the backs in a great opportunity. And I think that's our responsibility, you know, as coaches, we all want to watch a game where we're, you know, we're playing, there's more ball and ball in play time. The ball's being used a lot more. Our ability to deliver the ball is critical. So that intent goes hand in glove with uh, certainly with the tactical side of understanding how we want to put it together. Could you maybe touch on a little bit of the tactical side of scrummaging at the super rugby level? I, I'm of the belief that uh, shoot shield level, you might need some basic strategy, maybe a little bit more when you get all the super rugby guys come back at the back end of the year. But just so just so younger coaches can have an understanding, what what are some of the basic strategies that you might see at a super rugby or a test level at scrum time? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because, um, you know, my philosophy has actually always been the same. So having coached in all of them, I actually haven't changed. Um, I've developed it and honed it, worked with a number of different coaches that have really had a huge input into that and watched a few guys. Ultimately, though, it's really three things, right? So for me, it's about balance, speed and power, right? So if we can, and then your ability, so balance firstly is balance on the bind. So pre-bind, on the bind, and balance post-set. Yeah. Your ability to be quick to win, so win the bind. So who's up first? Your ability to be quicker across the, across the line of engage. And then your ability to react quicker than the opposition on the call. 
and then the power. So my big thing is around time under tension, and you 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 know that well. And that's a Mark Del Mazo terminology, a French famous French scrum coach who was in Japan. Yeah. Um, time under tension. So it's about our ability to generate power as an individual and collective as an eight, and do that um, longer than the opposition. So the ability to earn the right, our ability to earn the right from twelve o'clock to one o'clock collectively. Yeah by our ability to have and be stable in that process. So it's terminology I would talk about, earn the right, your ability, um, if you don't earn the right to go from 12 to one from your hips, then yep. you don't actually move your feet. You know, the ability to have all feet, you know, 16 sets of feet in ground and power going and you're going down through the ground rather than going backwards is critical. Um we spent and have spent over the last five weeks as much time on our time under tension and scrum strength activities, I guess, um, as we have building our scrum. And you would do that from test rugby all the way through to club or schoolboy level. Never, ne- never changes. Never changes. The same amount of time we would we would emphasize on that on grass would be identical because the importance of your ability to generate power as an individual and then as an eight and as a collective, both through grips and bind. And, you know, there's you know a lot of other things around breathing, you know, which is what the Italians do. You know that well, yeah. uh, you know, it, you know, exhales on exertion. That's important. Um, you know, breathing through your time under tension that are critical, but honestly um, I think at times we can make it more complex than it actually is. Definitely. The simpler, the better. How we can collectively as an eight go forward is really, really important for us to understand. Mate, that's awesome. I, I feel like I could chew your ear off for hours, mate. I've just got a couple of rapid-fire questions, and I'll, I'll get, let you get back to the, the day job. Mate, what, are some, what are some common mistakes you see from young forwards coaches? Yeah, I think the big thing is they're just they're not themselves. Um, I think the as soon as you understand that, you as a coach have to have – don't try and be someone you're not. So be yourself. You're in that role for a reason. Let it come out. Let the players get an understanding of who you are and that will be – and they will be an extension of who, who you are. And that's really, really important. Mate, that's fantastic. Do, do you have any books that you'd recommend? Do you, do you read much, audio books, podcasts, anything that, you, anything that you'd throw out to the audience? This might be a bit crazy, mate, but I'm a massive fan of Dave Goggins. So, um, you know, can't hurt me, um, his book. And it was an audio book as well. You know, um, you know, Men in the Boat, which is a, a movie just come out, which is a great book um, as well. talks about the Olympic team. Um, I do. I'm a big audio book guy. Um, I'm not an avid reader, but I love audio books. And anyone I can, you know, you know, uh, really push to, you know, that's really important to be able to continue to learn and get different ideas. Mate, uh, I'd recommend the one he just did with Andrew Huberman. He just did a really good podcast with him. If you haven't listened to it, it's, you know, I, w- I went for a walk the other day, started listening to him. I'm like, fuck, I better start running. <laughs> Brilliant. Mate, how good. Mate, Mate, uh, yeah, sorry, go. No, I was going to say, uh, do you have any documentaries or anything else that you'd recommend? Yeah, so documentaries, um, not so much, mate. I'm not a... Uh, not a huge, don't, don't have that much time around documentaries, but um, obviously the, the only ones I would is, is very much, and this is, you know, very corny of me, right? But it's the, the, uh, the hard knock style, like the, 
watching coaches in action. So watching the intricate in action conversations that coaches are happening, not the fanfare that goes around it. Understand the nuances of how they talk and how it's like you and I are talking now, right? It's just like, you know, you don't have to overthink the way we communicate with people. Just have normal conversations. Be normal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's uh, be normal. This is the best advice there is for, for a very unnormal occupation, just quietly. <laughs> oh, very true. Very true. We are all the nuts, mate. Well, look, uh, I was saying to a mate of mine, because I've got the level four uh, camp this weekend, and they go, what's the best part of the level four camp? And I've gone, well, to be honest, it's uh, meeting other people who are as crazy as you. 100%. <laughs> All the time, mate. And not and not apologizing for not being normal, right? Absolutely. Hey, mate, I forgot to ask you this question, but I'll throw it in now. Yes. Uh, big theme of uh, what we try and do on the podcast is, is give people a healthy uh, view on failure. It's something that I've recently changed, particularly from coaching and doing this podcast. Yeah. What's your relationship with failure? And do you have any failures that you wouldn't mind sharing that help set you up for later success or that you learn from? Yeah, great. Um, yeah, it's a really good question. I The the simple answer for me is love it and embrace it um, first and foremost because it's a critical part of your learning. If you're not failing, you're not learning. So that in return, both in your own career and where you're at as individuals, is important, but two, even within your own team. So if training looks really pretty, and you're executing everything, I can guarantee you it's not going to look like that in the game. If it's got to look ugly, right? You've got to enjoy the chaos, enjoy your ability to be able to get out that as a coach. Now, in your career for me, I um, certainly had some, you know, number of failures, right? So, um, and, and I'll come back to, to probably my first stint in Japan and a failure not in my own right as such, but we were at a team in top league at a team I've just left actually, cause I've done two stints at Cuden Voltex yeah. and it was really, it, it was a period where, so I was 27, a head coach at 27 and we had 12 foreign players and I got called into the office at the company and they basically said, um, look, we're behind budget with the tsunamis hit. Um, we're going to, we're going to get rid of the program. The program's gone. Um, so, you know, you've got till the end of the season and then you've got nowhere to go. The thing around that for me was around understanding that, and not necessarily just failure, but we, we, were, we were a team that had the year before we'd won promotion, gone up, and were really successful up there. So we were flying high. We're thinking, right, budgets are going to the next level. We're, you know, we had, you know, Chris Latham's, Chris Jack, you know, Tim Atkinson, you know, even Grazy was playing back then. He just left us. You know, at that stage, we're thinking, right, we're flying. The reality is, is that at any given time in your career, it can be totally pulled out from underneath you. <laughs> it can be gone. It's happened twice in my career now. Melbourne was the same. So the Rebels, it was gone, flying high in super, um, you know, and then bang, the team gets sold for a dollar and we're, you know, to Rugby Australia and where Western Force coaches come in and we're gone. You know, I'm on a plane to, to England. So... The, the biggest thing for me around failure is actually the flip side and enjoying every moment and being yeah. present in every moment, every day, enjoy the process because at any given time it could be gone. Mate, that's, that's an amazing advice. It's, it's something that I don't think is talked about enough, particularly 
not just coaching, but professional sport in general is the uncertain uncertainty behind your career. As you said, like just look at the Australian situation from earlier this year. All of a sudden, the entire Wallaby coaching staff's gone, and the, there's a new one in. So, mate, I, I love that. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that on board for sure. Last question, sir. What yes. advice would you give 18 year old Zane Hilton? Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. I think about this all the time, actually. I, I think to myself, um, do it all again would definitely be one. So that'd be one piece. Just just do what, you know, I went into coaching early. So I was lucky. The the biggest one though would be listen more. Certainly listen more early on. There's no doubt in my career early on. Um, I thought that I had to have all the answers. And until I realized I didn't have all the answers and I started listening more to my players and other peers around me and becoming a, a lifetime, life, lifelong learner, I wasn't going anywhere. How long did that take you? Um, I would say maybe five to 10, probably seven to 10 years. Yeah, that's such great advice, mate. Thank you so much for your time. I'm uh, I'm very happy for you. Uh, say you, hello man. to Dale Robertson for me. If you haven't had a beer with him yet, be very careful when you do. <laughs> He's a dangerous human being. But uh, mate, thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. You're welcome, mate. Thank you, and thanks for having us on, Hayne. Good luck with your season.